Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Engage. Engage. Kirk Enterprise. Enterprise. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Captain Catherine Janeway. Captain Sisko. This is Captain Jonathan Archer. Red alert. Photon torpedoes. Fire. The official Star Trek podcast. Engage. Engage. Make it so. With your host, Jordan Hoffman. That, sir, is illogical. And make sure history never forgets. This is Engage. Sailing frequencies open, sir. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the next edition of uh, Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hoffman. What you're about to hear was recorded moments, mere moments after the world premiere of episode one and two of Star Trek Discovery, which, if you are a hardcore listener of the show, you just watched yourself. We just launched this podcast to go with it. Uh, Week to week, we're going to have... Recap episodes of Discovery with Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey, Jordan. But uh, when I was in L.A., uh, uh, my good friend Adam Drozen, who was at Adam Drozen, D-R-O-S-I-N, I may have gotten that wrong, is a super Star Trek fan and, and, a, and a great guy. So what we did, as you'll hear, is we just peeled away from the premiere, found a quiet corner, a relatively quiet corner, and talked about what we saw and also ordered food. Um, Brian, you're going to hear what Adam and I ate that night when you listen to this. <laughs> uh, he got something kind of gross. <laughs> so we'll see. So that's the deal with that. But listen, I want to tell you, if you were listening to this podcast, clearly you have an interest in Star Trek. There's a possibility that you haven't yet um, signed up for all access. You, maybe you're on the fence. So allow me to read to you a brief... Uh, statement, um, and it goes a little something like this. Space, the final frontier. Before Kirk, Spock, and the Enterprise, there was Discovery. Now, one of the most iconic and influential global franchises returns to Star Trek Discovery on CBS All Access. Uh, the show's premiere will be live, as you know, on September 24th at 8.30, 7.30 Central on CBS, then stream episode two immediately afterwards exclusively on CBS All Access. It's the new thing. Streaming television. It's the wave of the future. New episodes will be available every Sunday. Subscriptions to All Access start at $5.99 a month, which in addition to Discovery gets you access to other number one hit shows, classics, movies anytime, anywhere. You can also stream your live local CBS broadcast for news, special events, Thursday and Sunday night football, other sporting events, and more. So try CBS All Access for free now at cbs.com slash star trek. That's cbs.com slash star trek. So if you go in through that portal... 
cbs.com slash Star Trek. You get a week free to kick the tires on it and then keep it, and then keep it through uh, Discovery's run. If, if, if you don't like it after the Discovery, you can get rid of it. It's, uh, you know, it happens sometimes. And you have you know? absolutely nothing to lose by trying it. Nothing to lose by trying it. The first week is free. There you go. So that's the deal. Uh, let's now kick it over to um, to. Ju- I mean, I've been in a whirlwind. I'm sorry to be speaking to you on the phone. <laughs> Brian, the engineer, is a whiz, so he'll make it sound as if it's as crystal clear as possible. But I literally just got back from Los Angeles. I'm running around like a crazy person, and uh, now Star Trek is here. Discovery is here. Uh, Michael Burnham, Lieutenant Saru, uh, all these uh, interesting things. That the scene when she's in the brig. The oh yeah, like, Brian. Didn't the brig look like Tron? Yes, it did. <laughs> I'm glad you <laughs> glad you say that. All right, let's kick it back, and then uh, the next time uh, will be me and Brian talking about episode three. All right, live long and prosper. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. This is Engage, Engage. the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to Engage, the Star Trek uh, official Star Trek podcast. Uh, we're in a in, in warp the hundred and three right now. We just got out of the world premiere of the first two episodes of Discovery. Um, I'm here with uh, Adam Drozen, who's been on the show before. He is. Uh, I, I, we got to give you official title at this point. I don't know what, what to call you. A mega fan. How does that sound? Sounds all right to me. A mega fan who lives here in L.A. Just to kind of give you a little a sense of where we are, we're in a, like a strip mall near the Arclight Theater where the Cinerama Dome is. We're like, you know, a block away, and we're in like a pretty crappy, um, well, I shouldn't say that too loudly, but we're in like a sports bar, <laughs> but it was not as loud as the other bars around here. It's called Big Wangs. Is Big Wangs a chain here in L.A.? As far as I know, this is the only Big Wangs in Los <laughs> this Angeles. Is the only Big Wang in Los Angeles. So I'm drinking a Coors Light, and Adam uh, agreed to come and uh, and sit and chat. And what's funny is that across the street, I can literally look out the window of Big Wangs, and I can see the, the Dream Hotel. And on the top floor of the Dream Hotel, which I can see, I'm not kidding you, is where the big after party is. And we are not there because we're talking to you. And the big after party is uh, Les Moonves, the president lord dominion of uh of cbs and uh, the cast is there i'm sure sonequa is looking beautiful as she did on the red carpet and some of the other cats from the older uh show 
Whoa, that is a big beer. Big did not see that coming. That ad I got a Coors Light in a bottle. You got a Francis Connor Weiss beer, and it is like a, a fishbowl. That's got to be like two and a half beers. I'm not much of a beer drinker, guys, but when you're at Big Wang's, <laughs> that's what you do, I suppose. <laughs> Dear Lord. Uh, all right. So um, Adam and I really haven't talked about our thoughts yet about the show. Uh, but what was funny is uh, just a minute, he's like, who, who did you talk to on the red carpet? And I was thinking about, I think Sonequa was wonderful on the red carpet. And... I was just thinking back to the red carpet how I did not get a chance to speak to Anthony Rapp, and I really wanted to because you know he follows me on Twitter and I you know we're pals. Um, and then I realized he wasn't in the show. Yeah, we didn't see him at all. He was uh, exclusively on the Discovery, it seems, which we did not see. Yeah, and uh, he was great on the red carpet. Our friend Jim Morehouse, who was interviewing him for TrekCore.com. They were talking about uh, Anthony's latest obsession with the Star Trek novels. So yeah, he is ta going above and beyond in his in his research. It's so cool. Very eloquent about it, and uh, it's great to see someone with that kind of pat taking that passion for his work, taking it off screen in his uh, his time that he doesn't have to commit to the show. It's very impressive. Yeah, he's a cool cool guy. If you don't follow Anthony Rap on Twitter, I think is he just his name or is he like the real rap or something? No, or? he is at Albino Kid. Right. Oh, of course, he's at Albino Kid. The because he's a very pale man. Um, uh, all right, so Dig, uh, I want to talk to you, Adam. Uh, broad strokes, uh, what you love the most, and then we could talk about any you know misgivings you had. Uh, I'm assuming that you liked it. I liked it very much. Okay, cool. I'm going to start off and say the thing that blew me away immediately was, and I'm going to make a bold statement. I'm going to plant a flag right now here. Star Trek Discovery has the best opening title sequence in any Star Trek. It's very striking. Um, it reminds me of... I, I'm about to reference a video that's referencing other things, but it's <laughs> the first thing that came to mind is the, is the music video for Franz Ferdinand, Take Me Out, which is very sort of uh, using like German sort of Weimar Republic illustrative white uh, cream on red on black very cool design elements You're seeing the phasers and things come apart i was yeah. very taken with it yeah i mean i wanted to see it again immediately I, I should point out that you know a lot of times i mean as as listeners know and as you know adam I, I i my main gig is i am a film critic and when i go to see something that i'm going to write about to review i take notes i did not take notes tonight um, because I just kind of wanted to enjoy it, and I know that I'm going to see this again on Sunday when the rest of the world sees it, um, and kind of have more cogent thoughts then. But yeah, the opening credits, um, which did not come immediately, there was a little pre-titled sequence, as there often is on television, and then it just came in with these very elegant, simple line drawings, uh, and just things kind of swooping in, and the, you can see like a blueprint of the ship. That's the first thing you see is the ship being drawn as a blueprint, and then it moves, and then you see a blueprint of a phaser, and then you see kind of like half of, I guess, Michael Burnham's face or somebody's face. I don't know. And it's something that I want to see again, but it, it just was really, really, really cool. Um, but the thing does start with a pre-title sequence, and, um, I, you know, I've got to be honest with you, a pre-title sequence wasn't like the greatest thing ever. Yeah, um, the cold open's a tricky thing to nail, especially with a, a series intro. I mean, thinking about it, back on a broken bow is a really strong cold open. Yeah. That was our last one, um, which, you know, also had a bit of a flashback into it, but um, 
Yeah, you know, it was great to have, I think it's a really bold statement to start the first piece of audio and visuals you see as, uh, you know, in Klingon, subtitled Klingon. Yeah. yeah, that was cool. I mean, this is, uh, by the way, this episode is we can go in with all the spoilers. This is after it's been aired. So, yeah, it opened, like the first thing you hear in Discovery is clock, truck, truck. You know, it's, it's Klingon, which just made me laugh. It's like, goddamn, good for them, you know? And then it gets to Burnham and Giorgio. I, I don't know exactly what they were, they were like fixing a well. What were they doing? It they. They were setting up each other's relationship is what right. they were really doing. You know, I, and I'll be honest, when I'm watching it, I, I, my head was spinning so much. First of all, I got up at the crack of dawn this morning. Did I say that already yet on the podcast? <laughs> Not yet. Okay. It's now, like, it's around 10 p.m. L.A. time. Um, I woke up at what it would have been 2 a.m. L.A. time, 5 a.m. New York time, to get on a plane to come here and run and do the red carpet and record audio in the blazing sun. And then when I finally sat down, and there's also there's all this, like, Star Trek luminaries around me. Um, you know, like over, like as I'm walking in, I see John Delance. He's like, "Hey, how you doing?" I'm like, "Q, you know what the hell?" And then Bob Picardo was there, and and I had you know talked to Sonequa, and she's so charming, and Mary Chifo. And then I sit down, and the lights dim, and there's an intro. You know, Alex Kurtzman came out, and everybody came out and took a bow, and it was really. And Sonequa said some very, you know, charming things, and then it started. And, like, my mind was, like, racing a mile a minute. Like, I was like, holy shit, this is actually happening after all this time. And then I'm like, wait, what are they doing? Why are they walking around in the desert? What's happening here? So there was, like, some eggs that needed water, and they shoot a hole in a, in a well. Like, how did they had to do that? They couldn't send somebody? I do really appreciate just the on a face value, the first alien species that we have in Discovery is the Crepusculans. <laughs> is that what they're called? They're called the Crepusculans. Where, where did, what is your source for that? She says it. I think Georgiou says it. Oh. And this is also, it was on a piece of art in the Discovery exhibit that they showed oh, at San okay. Diego and in Las Vegas. Yeah, th these are like the larva creatures. Yeah. They're I called was, the Crepusculans. I forget the piece of dialogue exactly, but um, apparently there's a drought and they, they tap this well. Very... Um, there didn't seem to be any concern for violating the Prime Directive, considering they blasted the well in, in view of the crepusculans who pop out immediately after they leave. Well, but no, they were in, like, their larval state. They, I they guess, were in hibernation. Oh, okay, I guess that's true. And then I guess... But then one the, came out. The sound of it popped them off, or... Maybe that's what it was. But true, that, then they also, like, I mean, the storm was coming, maybe that woke them up, but then they also just have the ship come through the atmosphere and pick them up with a huge delta on the ground. So it, I think the delta was more for the image of it, and they yeah. reverse engineered that uh, I 100% agree. It was but, a, it was it was a cool like it, it yes. gave me a chill. Yeah. When she's like I sent them a beacon or whatever and you see the delta shield but it felt um I, I got to say I loved what we saw tonight. Yeah. Uh, this was my least favorite thing was this little prologue. I I, I feel like I felt the fingerprints of Alex Kurtzman on oh, interesting. that sequence. Sure. It, I mean it definitely felt like from the maker makers of the mummy. Oh boy. <laughs> a little bit. But then we get into the awesome, awesome title sequence, and then it just kicks off. And I'm telling you, we were not on the bridge of the Shenzhou for a, a 30 seconds, and I'm like, this is Star Trek. Yep. This is like all these worries of like, is it, is it canon? Is it prologue? Is it sidequel? Is it sequel? It felt like, even though with very modern cinematography and modern production design, it felt like Riker and Picard or Kirk and Spock, like, seeing a problem and talking it out. And instantly, I love the relationship between Georgiou and Michael Burnham, and especially Saru, who was 
instantly lovable, like instantly iconic. First of all, I didn't know he clucks his teeth or he oh, shatters yeah. his teeth. What does he do exactly? He, it, it's, I mean, it, it registered like a click, but it seemed to be the kind of thing he would click when he was thinking and about to like say mm. his piece, and like it was. It made me think of him processing, and he has his little fibers that come up on his <laughs> neck when he's sensing things. Yes, when he senses fear. He's yeah. great. And I think the thing that's really impressive about uh, Georgiou to me is how easily she establishes her command style without a lot of show. And I mean, you know, we look back at the captains we love, like Cisco and Kirk and Picard, and their command style is so codified, having seen, you know, these episodes over and over again. But Georgiou comes on and she's very much her own captain, and she doesn't have to, you know, be brash or, you know, in your face about it. She's Georgiou and she's got her style. I really responded to that. Yeah, no, she definitely has her style. She's tough, um, but she is thoughtful. Like, um, at first, when Burnham comes back from Sick Bay, and her instinct is like, get the hell back to sickbay. But when she senses Burnham is like, no, 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 no. I, you really have to listen to me. She kind of swallows her pride a little bit uh, and says, okay. When Burnham tries to do it a second time and belays an order in front of the rest of the crew, that's that's a no-go. And she does not like that at all. No. And then I was surprised. I gasped when Burnham gave her the Vulcan grip. That was really Vulcan heavy. Vulcan pinch, excuse me. I was, great. I was... I believe I said something to the tune of, oh, snap. <laughs> My apologies to the people sitting next to me, oh, but that man. was unexpected and really, really cool. What was your favorite thing in what we saw? On a gut level, I really just responded to the spectacle of it. I mean, this is truly the most cinematic Star Trek pilot we've seen yeah. by far. I think the ease with which we're seeing these actors slip into the world is impressive. People have made the comparison before that and the performers themselves have that acting in Star Trek is almost like Shakespeare and the fact that it's very heightened and very specific in the world that they're portraying and I feel like it is really specific and I think they all really nail it in a very facile way. For me, the thing that I was really struck, struck by was how, to use a comic book term, how decompressed the episode felt. It, it really didn't occur over that much time, but it felt like so much was happening. It yeah. felt so dense. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that was weird, it w there's like a, a good news, bad news of how we saw it tonight. Um, uh, the good news that they showed it at the Dome is that like it's good for press, because they had the press there, and it was like a big event tonight, you know, and it was, it was the event in L.A. tonight. Um the, the production value and the cinematic-ness of it, like, it, like the Dome was, like, the biggest theater in, in L.A., and it handled it. Like, it, it, this show defeated the Dome, right? It, it did not look small. I mean, you, you show a TV show in a movie theater, and you're like, it's a TV show, you know? You could tell. These, the scenes of her flying out among the asteroids, uh, that whole EVA sequence was dynamite. I think all the, the battle action was really cool. I, I was very impressed by all of that. Uh, the only negative, and it's, it's not a negative for the show, negative for our experience, and I, not even a negative, just like an odd thing was when it ended, because it did not, there was no mark for end of episode one into two that it flew it right in, I had no idea what time it was because it was not a three-act structure because it wasn't a movie. It's two episodes of a TV show, and really it's a prologue to like episode three is like, oh, now what? You know, the, this big thing happened what's the redemption arc now so it's kind of like what we saw was act one of a movie 
as a as a, a theatrical event tonight. I was completely disoriented, so I didn't know whether to applaud at the end until I realized, oh, that was the credits for all of it. I've been sitting here for two hours. But that's a testament to how good it was because it zoomed by. I was not bored for an instant. And uh, it just was very disorienting. It was a sort of a weird experience. It really did move. It, it did have a, an urgency to it, and it, it felt economic in a way. It didn't really feel like there was too much fat on the bone to use a Ridley I remember Ridley Scott said this about Alien once he's like there's no fat on the bone it's just pure lean muscle just moving <laughs> forward and I really do respond to that aspect of it I think Jeff Russo's music was really nice I yeah. mean the theme yeah. song we've been talking about is really strong and evocative but coming off of the Berman era in which he himself had referred I, I shouldn't say he himself I can't think of a source for that but I feel like the the consensus is that um he, he, he didn't, Berman didn't want the music to melodically intrude on the drama, and it's been sort of called musical wallpaper, and right, I feel like right. this is not that. There's no, a, it was really good. There's a yeah. real character and, yeah. and, and flavor to it, and I think it's something that people talked about with regards to the Orville, which just premiered recently, too, is that having a full orchestra performing music for television really does add something, especially when you have a strong composer with a strong musical mind behind it. His yeah. music was definitely another highlight of this for me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, what's funny is that there aren't, like you say, um, it was kind of decompressed, um, and it felt like there was a lot going on. Interestingly enough, though, there's hardly, there are very few locations Right? I mean, there's the main bridge of Tecovma's weirdo ship, whatever the hell that thing is called. I think it's informally been called the sarcophagus the ship. The sarcophagus ship. Then there's the bridge of the Shenzhou. There's the brig, which looks amazing, by the way. It looks like Tron. Oh, it yeah. so cool. Welcome to the grid. Yeah. And then there was, um, in instant, we see Burnham's quarters. And then we see... Uh, uh, Giorgio's ready room, but that was like I didn't get a I didn't get a I didn't get a handle on Burnham's ready room. Felt really big. Burnham had a very interesting. Not Burnham. Uh, uh, Georgia. Georgia. Room. She yeah. had some interesting. Um, I would assume Chinese inspired artwork on her her walls and behind her desk, and it was really nice. And and Burnham in her in her quarters had like a cool triangular Vulcan piece of ornamentation, and it had a very yeah. small itic on it in the bottom part. I did so, not catch that. Yeah, it was wow. very, very subtle, and um, she. other than that, her, her quarters were very Vulcan, very sparse. Yeah. I love in the flashback when she's wearing that red tunic or whatever the heck that was. That was really neat, and she's so Vulcan at the beginning. Um, and then we see the transporter room, which I wanted to talk about, because the transporter room looks very, very different, and there was like a line of dialogue that kind of explained that away. Uh, yeah. Burnham says... Um, Oh, I thought you've done away with uh, vector style. Vavada, vavada, vavada. Oh, I totally missed that. Yeah, and then and then George was like, "The Shenzhou is an old ship, but she still gets around." That's oh, that's right. That's so right. that sort of that's like that's why our transporter room looks different. Yeah. Tough guys. The, now yeah. that explains that. It does not explain um, Roger Waters' gong from Live at Pompeii in the background. Wait, what? <laughs> Oh, man. That's yeah. what's powering it, the well, power of prog rock. The power of prog rock. Oh, man, it did look like that gong. But, no, it doesn't explain the new... And this is like... Listen, I have no time for fans who want to flip out about, you know, if this is set during TOS, it should look like TOS. Like, I'm done with that argument. But it is interesting that they have this cool holographic uh, uh, type of... Um, telecommunication that we never see again like that's yeah. just 
different, and fans just have to. Star Trek fans tend to be very logical. That's why we yeah. like Spock, and uh, it is it is a canon breach. There's not there's no two ways about it, Adam. It's a canon breach. They breached it, baby. And, and are uh, you ready to accept this canon canon breach? I've accepted it in my heart. <laughs> I, I, and if you haven't, uh, the only thing I can say is you need to take a piece of advice from Steve Winwood and roll with it, baby. <laughs> you need to roll with it. Um, I think it's fine. It's like, totally fine. It's li- totally fine. But l- listen, you know. yeah. If you want to get hung up on these little minutia of this is supposed to predate something that was made fifty years ago, yeah. that you're more than welcome to it. For me, if 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 Star Trek's going to exist, I just want it to be good, and if they're yeah. going to have to take liberties. Let them do it. Just let make sure it's well written and well produced. Yeah, I mean, it fe- but it is. That was the biggest red flag of a cannon breach, and. Because they use it a lot. It's like four or five times they use it. Yeah. And it was different, and that's that. I, I, I totally am fine with it. I liked it even. It looked cool. It looked and cool. And it's a modern show. It's 2017. It's going to be 2018 next year. It's, it's And it's, I, I like that they thought it out, like the technology, just like he moves to sit down on her desk and he glitches out a little bit. Like it's not perfectly smooth no, technology. No, it's, it's not smooth. Maybe it's that's cool. why Kirk didn't use it. Cause it's he, cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The other thing that was it's going to take a little getting used to is James Frain's uh, version of Sarek. He's really snarky. Sardonic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really. Oh, we should tell him about the special thing we saw at the beginning. Oh, my gosh, guys. So I was sitting next to Aaron from TrekCore.com, and he had made a comment before the, the, the screening had started, but after the gentleman who was emceeing had left, he's like, they didn't mention anything about the... Um, Embargo, because uh, it's been noted in the press that uh, prior to Sunday's uh, premiere, that no one is allowed to write their review or publish a review. Yeah, but it, I got it, about three emails. Yeah, me. yeah, yeah. But the but there was you know in the invitation to tonight's event, they said you know there are certain things. Please do not spoilers, plot points, etc. You cannot let this out, and they didn't mention any of that. But before the episode actually started, we got a shot of uh, James Frain in character and costume on the deck of the of the Discovery. By the way, that's, that's the only. Right. time we saw the discovery was in the special thing that's right Ta- in character talking right to camera saying uh, i know you're excited that's a very emotional human response yeah. <laughs> please do not tweet out anything he said it would even be logical to share this with your social network that's right however uh do not and it was cute he did not break character and then he said um and for those of you who are uh compelled to take video we have some guards and then a spotlight went on the door and there were two dudes dressed like Klingons with bathlets. Yes. Which was a hoot. You know, got the, a big laugh. These were Discovery Klingons. So one was more brownish, one was more grayish, <laughs> and they looked great. These yeah. were, I wouldn't say screen quality prosthetics. I saw them right up close. They were definitely pullover masks that they were. Yeah. the seams were painted into. Uh, I'm sure they had this idea about a day and a half ago. It, but they looked good, <laughs> they looked man. Great. They looked really good. It got a big laugh, and it was it got the point home. The other, uh, just getting back to that earlier point about the locations, we do see a little bit of Vulcan school. Yes. And that reminded me a heck of a lot of Star Trek 2009. Yes. Because they're in these little... I don't know, divots. There's little pods where, like, you go to school in like a little hole in the floor, and um, and they and it was a nice way to like work out. You get like two bits of plot exposition at once. A, she was schooled on Vulcan. B, her parents were killed by Klingons. Uh, you know, a la Worf, and you know she was taken in by Sarek, and and she's referred to by Sarek as my ward, which yes. I thought was nice. Sort of downplaying the. 
San Diego Comic Con. Uh, uh, my stepdaughter's my daughter. Yeah, it went from daughter. Sarah's my father. To oh no, she he is the ward. Should we order food right Let's here order, on the yeah. podcast? Hey, can we order some food from you? Yeah. Okay, um, I want to get one of those uh, build your own pizzas. And I'm going to get it with jalapenos and um, uh, pepperoni. Okay. And garlic? Can I get garlic on there, too? Let's do it. Okay. Garlic, jalapenos, Yeah. Can I please have an order of cheeseburger fries? Yes. Wait, wait. What are cheeseburger fries? It's basically loaded french fries. So it's like almost poutine. Ah, oui. All right. Awesome. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. What was your name again? Elliot. Elliot. Yes. All right. Nice to meet you, Elliot. You so long. All right. Um, Elliot's going to bring us some pizza and cheeseburger fries. Yeah. Adam's going to be vomiting all night. Cheeseburger fries. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you think she knows E.T.? Is that the same? I, you know, I was going to say, we just saw a show with Michael Burnham was a woman, and Elliot was uh, was uh, certainly gave every appearance to being a woman. Very gender nonconforming, guys. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, you know, it's funny. In L.A., I guess people just report, record podcasts in bars all the time. Yeah, I... Listen, we're on, uh, what is this, Vine? Is this, is this called, da- this, is this downtown L.A.? We're no, in this is Hollywood. We're, we're in, Ho- in Hollywood. We're yeah. in Hollywood proper, and I got to, just if you guys haven't been to Los Angeles or Hollywood, the streets are truly lined with gold, <laughs> and people record podcasts in <laughs> restaurants called Big Wangs. <laughs> you know, I took a little walk earlier, and I did see some of the stars, you know, the stars, the sure. Walk of Fame. and. I like to think I know a lot about history and Hollywood history. It was like one name after them, like never heard of this guy, never heard yeah. of this guy. They were mostly musicians. I figured that ah, must be some country musician I never heard of. And then like I did see like, and then like, oh, that's a biggie. It's like, so five people I never heard of and Marlena Dietrich. Yes. I'm like, that's no joke. Of Like Marlena Dietrich's like a pretty big name of classic Hollywood. I'm like, she should be in a very prominent spot. And then I looked up, it's in front of a Popeye's fried chicken. <laughs> I'm like, come on, Marlena Dietrich deserves a little more than that. It's there's a fascinating culture behind the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I think it costs well over. It used to I think cost ten thousand dollars flat just to get the star. I think it probably costs much more than that now, and you have to pay a fee to maintain it every year. So Marlena Dietrich is no longer with us, so her estate her estate would do it. I guess you have to do it, right? Yeah, because it's you got to be in. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Who would Dietrich play if she was in Star Trek? She play an alien, like a very like. Cold. She would play um, the young Marlena Dietrich. I guess maybe one of Mud's women. Yeah, she would be an amazing Loxana. Older Dietrich would be an amazing Loxana oh, Troy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the uh, the uh, Touch of Evil era Marlena yes. Dietrich as Loxana. The sultry Troy. sort of grand dame Dietrich would be a great mirror Troy. <laughs> mirror Loxana Troy. Um, all right. So you know, there's one thing we didn't really talk about, uh, and that is. Not the character, but the performance of Sonequa Martin-Green. And I think it was very, very strong. I loved her immediately. Um, Even in that prologue, which has some pretty... The dialogue is pretty chunky in that little prologue scene. But once you get back on the bridge of the ship, I I, I thought she was doing pretty damn well. You could really feel them shaking the rust off, like kicking the tires. Like, this is Star Trek, right? We're like, we're we're making Star Trek. Like, this is... That's what the dialogue felt like in the the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. But she really, I mean, I personally, this is the first thing I've seen her, and I know she has quite a fan following from her work on The Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah. I thought she was very strong. She was making some strong choices. She had a lot of agency. I'm really looking forward to seeing, like, 
you know, the way this episode is structured, we just got a little dollop uh, of the sour cream of her backstory and the burrito of this episode, <laughs> to use a really colorful metaphor. But, um, you know, we haven't seen her, it, her relationship with Sarek beyond the Vulcan st- Student Academy. Right. We have only seen her in the context of being very Vulcan as um, a teenager, as a young uh, seven years ago, but also as an emotional child after this trauma, and then as an emotional young adult, I would presume to say, in her dealings in the quote-unquote present of the episode. So I'm very curious to see as her backstory is filled out and as we go back and forth in time to see how she went from this girl who went through a huge trauma to being the renegade hero of the saga. Right, right. I mean, she the, the implication is like she came to Vulcan, you know, crippled by the trauma, then became a perfect daughter, a uh, substitute daughter for, for Sarek as the ultimate Vulcan, and then went too far by, you know... She, you know, Spock used to disobey orders all the time, too. I mean, think of, think of the menagerie, right? So she... Spock never knocked Kirk out with a Vulcan pinch, but uh, um, he he did knock out uh, Bones at the end of Wrath of Khan. That's true. So, you know, uh, he, got, he, he got to do what he's got to do. Um, the uh, I just thought, like, her performance was, was solid. It's really good. I mean, she's got a very interesting face. Um, she, like, the scenes where she had to, like, stand up and, and kind of yell a little bit I was yeah. like yes you know like I, and, and the scene where she's in the brig and she's trying to outsmart the computer to let it very good space jerk yeah she did the space jump was very was very Kirk outsmarting a computer with logic that felt very was, Kirk yeah it was knowingly like very subtly but knowingly like this is a Kirkism yes. yeah no that was some smart some smart stuff so I really dug her Let's um, talk about the Klingons for a second, if we could, because yeah. that was another highlight for me. Her, the music, the Klingon culture. Yeah. And the, just, the so, like, so I got to admit, again, as I said earlier, my mind was racing at first because today has been nuts for me that I kind of was like, it was so emotionally overwhelming <laughs> to be here watching this show. I know it's embarrassing <laughs> to admit that I almost didn't comprehend what was happening at first. I'm like, what? What is going on? So, um, you know, but I ultimately understood the plot but it was it's wild i mean i heard that they were only doing it in in the klingon language and you hear that and that's one thing but when you see it and hear it performed it's like yeah it's it's like watching a foreign film you know truly and you know it's one thing to say they're only doing klingon but once takuvma switches over to english to speak with the starfleet characters it's it says so much i mean you know the stereotype of the klingon is like the drunken swaggering buffoon is like this really says like oh no this is a a tactician and and a really smart calculating guy and just like the disdain like it's almost like the way he spoke English is like it's like beneath him yes yes yeah he so hates the Federation and their uh, their sort of diverse ways it sort of mirrors um, beyond right yeah what the, was the bad guy's name crawl crawl it kind of mirrors crawl's anger at the Federation you know he wants the Klingons to be pure and he follows an ancient religious sect I mean there's definitely some real world implications there and it's kind of neat. I want to see how that gets explored more. But, um, yeah, there are a lot of Klingons. So who's the dude? Like, there's the the, the kind of, like, all-white Klingon. That would be Voke. Voke. Is Very who, mysterious. Who, who's the one that um, Ken Mitchell plays? That would be Cole. Cole. 
Oh, yeah. All he right. was only seen in a hologram tonight. He has two pieces of, I guess, paint striped on his face, tattoos maybe, and he was the antagonist. He was the one who was least willing to side with Takuvma. Right, right. Okay, so Volk is like Takuvma's heir now. He's the new torchbearer. Right, right. And uh, and uh, Mary Chifo's character is with them also. She is what seems to be his lieutenant. They were together discussing, you know, have we won? Like, yeah, they're, right. they're crippled, and they. she seems to be like his confidant. So Volk's he had, confidant, yeah. Uh, no, Takuvma's confidant. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Well, so after, now that he's dead, or it's presumed to be dead, anyhow. Voke, I seem. I, I, it's kind of unclear what the role of the torchbearer is. I think it's a ceremonial. I mean, yeah. just the way the sarcophagus ship was presented and described by um, uh, Saru, I think it was so evocative. It's like some of the remains are thousands of years old. Some of them are just from hours right. ago. <laughs> I was like, my God, like, this truly is world building for Klingons like we haven't seen in years. Yeah, but also there were, you know, there were direct uh, traces to the past. I mean, they yes. talk about Kalis a lot. Yes. And it, it all kind of, my my knowledge of Kalis, it was all, you know, was was all yeah. le legit. Um, and they talk about, you know, how we haven't seen them in a hundred years. That's reference to Enterprise yes. and whatnot. It was not, um, you know, they, they, there, there wasn't too much of canon in this. You know, there's this, the scene when all the other ships show up and I was like listening, oh, are we going to hear a ship that we know? And they didn't mention any, I don't think, um, they mentioned like the Jaeger was one. The Jaeger, that was yeah. really good. There was another like it's the kind of thing that Star Trek loves to do, where they'll mention like two like made up names and then a name you know. Right, right, right. Like right. what's that Death Wish where it's like two or, or um no a better example is the Savage Curtain. Like there's Lieutenant Green, right, right. and then there's <laughs> Genghis Khan right, right, and right. Abraham Lincoln. So it's like you get a little bit of history, and then yeah. oh there's the USS Jaeger. Like oh I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was pretty cool. Um, the Klingons, I mean, the, the design of this sarcophagus ship, as it was called, is gorgeous. And then their beacon, which they didn't really have a name for. Yeah. The, the, way, sh the ship looked really cool. The and, way, yeah. And the way they used the Klingon, the, the cloaking device, and sort of showed up out of nowhere and it smashed into the right. other ship. That was intense. I love the revelation that Takuvma invented the cloaking technology. Like, yeah. no one else knew about it. And then he's like, Voke kind of blows up his spot. It's like, do you think, like, this guy... You didn't have this before, this guy. Which is interesting because Aaron from Trek Corps gave me an interesting little theory that maybe this Voke guy is... Not who he says oh, he, he is. Oh, he might be a Romulan. He might be a plant, exactly. Oh. So he's he's son of none. We don't know what house right, he's from. I love from. that. I am son of none, but I am heir to faith or something like and that. And he just holds his hand in the fist yeah. like Travis Bickle <laughs> in Taxi Driver when his mind is snapped and he's just holding his hand in the fire. And from that point on, he's the torchbearer. Yeah. So I'm very, very excited it about Evoke. It was really cool. But, you know, again, another, another change. I mean, the Klingons look a lot different, but, yes. you know, what are you going to do i mean that's the decision they made and you got to deal with it right yeah, but you got you got guys like glenn hetrick and uh, neville page designing them i mean you got top quality uh, thought put into yeah. not only the makeup but the costumes the set the design everything about it was yeah. just you I could mean, tell two minutes yeah. in i didn't care it it's, was like it looked really cool to, to use a uh, um a Disney term, if you will, it's so immersive. Like just yeah. looking at it for a second, I'm like, "Well, I'm there. This is that world." Like it didn't feel phoned in in any sense of the word. No, it felt different, um, but it felt it felt new, but it was, as you say, immersive. You know, uh, I think 
you know, I mean, there are, but you know, there are still fans. There are still not fans. There are still people out there that say, "How come the Klingons look different in the old series than in the next generation?" You know, it's like, ugh. And they, you know, if you want to sit them down and talk about the augmentation virus, right. you can. But it's like they just do. Just shut up. You right. know, it's it's what do you what do you want from me? They, it's because they didn't they didn't have special effects like that back then. That's right. the answer, and we all know it. And this is yeah. why we have uh, memory beta and right. all of uh, <laughs> you know your your novels and your yeah. David Max and your comics. So this is yeah. why those things exist. They'll come up with some kind of reason why they look different, but it did not. It has not uh, presented itself yet. And maybe it will, maybe it won't. I don't know. Um, you know, the, we didn't talk about. There was some other bridge crew on the Shenzhou. There's that one like cyborg dude. Yeah. And then there's somebody else that's got something on their fingertips, like some sort of metal. It made me think of Kolrami, the uh, Stratagema master. When they were playing Stratagema in TNG, <laughs> they put their little fingertips right, in the little right, right, things. Right, right. It's, it's a little reuse of that. Yeah, and then there was somebody else that had like some sort of, just looked like headphones on their forehead. Yeah. Well, so, Google Glass put right into your yeah, skull. Yeah. So there's like, the, and I, I think that was the same guy with the stuff on his fingertips. Yeah. And there was somebody else who, uh, he looks like kind of a cyborg robot or whatever, and he does get blasted. At one point, kind they of carry him off. Yeah, yeah. He's like, Rawr, and he makes some kind of crazy. Almost, noise. Maybe looked like a female cyborg. I couldn't really tell because we couldn't get a good look. But I thought yeah. I saw it looked like a female figure. Couldn't tell, but yeah. And then there was one. Um, I think it was the the um, weapon specialist whose name was Gav. Yes. And is that a is that a, a reference to uh, the Tellerite Gav? It's his stepson. Yeah. His, his, it's his ward. It's the Tellerite's ward. Right, shout, right. Sh- shout out Larry Nemechek, our Tellerite expert. Yeah. Maybe it was. Maybe that much like like Burnham is is Sarek's ward. And it was. They didn't mention it when 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 Tukum yes. was screaming about the Federation. He's like these disgusting humans and filthy Vulcans, te- yeah. Tellerites, and then Andorians. the filthy Andorians. Save the worst for last, which yeah. was nice. Uh, that that little reference like does a lot. Buys a lot of capital with me it's like all right we maybe aren't going to see andorians in this but at least they're out there and when he says that line he really sells it i mean something i'll say i mean i love quark one of my favorite characters a lot of people's one of their favorite characters but when you see those early episodes of ds9 i feel like you can really hear and feel him figuring out how to talk with that appliance in his mouth, that with that prosthetic <laughs> in his mouth, I'm yeah. like, I can really hear hear it. Yeah, he's but, shocking on it. Yeah, you can yeah. really feel it. And a lot yeah. of the actors struggle with it. It's not just Armin Shimmerman. Like, yeah. they, it's a tough thing to do. But I feel the like Grand Nagus Zek always sounded Oh horrible. yeah, like just like so. I mean, I, Wallace Shawn's a genius, but he just yeah. so so nasal and just like it worked for that. But yeah. I feel like both the. Um, Chris Obi playing Takuvma, Mary Chifo playing Laurel, and the actor Vogue, who I can't, the actor who played Vogue had a very foreign name, I can't remember off the top of my head, but excellent actor. It feels like they all like really were committed to it and sold it, and it made me think more of like how German sounds guttural to an American ear as opposed to this sounds like an actor speaking through fake teeth. Right, right. Yeah. I was very taken. I think they oh all God, committed. The teeth in this, the close-ups of the teeth. Unbelievable. And, you know, when you're watching it at home on your iPad, I mean, at the Cinerama Dome, those teeth were so cool. So disgusting. but uh, So detailed. Yeah. Man. All right, cool. So, um, yeah, we also saw a little clip that showed, like, it wasn't so much like next week on. It was like this season on. This season on. So I, I yeah. suspect it was. I don't know how the whole thing was maybe two minutes or so, but it was like um, 
a little bit about what's going to happen in the next episode and then flashes from later on. Predominantly, uh, I want to assume episodes from, let's say, three, four, maybe five, the yeah, deepest. It yeah. was very teasy. We see... Um, should we tease this? A no, bit? let's not. Let's not. Let's I not mean, give it away. Yeah. I, I don't mean, know. It, it seemed very cool and very. It was a great little tease. Yeah, I mean, it, I think what we can say is um, it implied that the next thing we're going to see is months, maybe even a year down the line. This is serialized television. Yeah. Things in this pilot are going to, you know, come back. This isn't like let's see what's out there, and yeah. then like you know, next week we're going to deal with some space slugs it's not or the whatever. Orville. It's not the Orville. No, which, which I love, by the which way. I do too. Seriously, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah. I think these first two episodes really felt like a um, prologue, a big yes. prologue, because I, if if season three is like I think it is, going to cut to eight months later. Just got loud, bang bang, just started playing. Yeah, really loud. bang bang. Jesse J is on the mic. Looks like <laughs> they're setting up the colored lights. We're gonna have some karaoke tonight, guys, and it looks like our treats are here. Oh my god, at the perfect timing! Wow. All right. Well, listen. Yep. There's um, the pizza. Adam, thank you, Elliot. Appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. Uh, oh, thank you. Okay, a little parmesan be great. Sure, why not? All right. Well, listen, Adam. Thank you so much for joining us um, on this chat. Um, I think that you know we could probably just talk about this for. For an hour and more, but um, I don't even know how long we've been talking. Let me put my light on here. It's very dark here in the Big Wangs. Jordan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, this was fun, and um, we got a lot more Star Trek to think about. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. Guys, we're just in. Uh, the human adventure is just beginning. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. 